we've gone through the statements of Jesus throughout the book of John, and we've talked through what those different statements meant. But I want you to remember this as we begin this last message today, that the reason we, we talk about the significance of these statements is the fact that in Exodus chapter 3, God tells Moses his name is I am. He says, but when I go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, who am I supposed to say sent me? And he says, you tell them I am has sent you. And so Jesus is doing something very intentional with particular significance in the New Testament when he brings up this phrase, I am. It wasn't just, I am a this, I am a that. When he was speaking to those people, they had been raised in the Jewish faith. They understood God called himself that. And now they had a little bit of a conflict before them because Jesus in the flesh was saying that he was God. So today the title of the message is this, I am the true vine. I want to give you some context before we jump into John 15, which is where the passage is that we'll read today and we'll look at. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. Let me see your hands if you've ever eaten a grape. That's, a, that's a, almost 100% of us, if not all of us. Let me see your hands, though, if you've ever been to a vineyard. A few of us, Okay. I remember on our honeymoon, my wife and I, uh, we went to Italy. It was beautiful. Uh, we arranged for to go out to the countryside and have dinner. You remember that, babe? And have dinner. We sat on the back side of this building that was overlooking these hills in a vineyard and had dinner served to us. Fresh made pasta. And I mean, it was, it was amazing. I, I just, I think about it often. But I think about uh, food often. No, I think about that vineyard and how beautiful it was. But they take a lot of work. So Jesus comes to this statement of being the true vine. But I thought back to Genesis chapter 2 verse 8. And the fact that God is the original gardener. I don't know if you realize this, but snuck in there in the verses about creation, it actually says this, the Lord God planted a garden. He planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And I thought about that for a moment. I know that with his word, he spoke and things came into existence. And I understand that the breath that was in God, he breathed into Adam. I know that he formed Eve out of the dust of the ground. I get all of that. No, well, out of Adam, actually. But I get all of that. And when I come to this point, I realize that God put some extra intention into this place called Eden. See, God's original plan is represented there. He's the gardener of creation, and he wanted us to be in fellowship with him. If you jump to the last part of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, we hear about a heavenly place, which we could call a heavenly Eden, where all of that is restored, and we will live with him forever. And ancient people lived in an agricultural context. If you've ever been to a farm or you've ever uh, been to a, a bigger than just a little plant in a planter, but to a garden, you know that it takes some hard work to garden and to grow things. 
But up until about 150 or 200 years ago, every generation on the earth lived in an agricultural context. So when Jesus says to them in their hearing, I am the true vine, there's some depth there that they understand that maybe we have forgotten. But it shows us that God is a gardener. It really is amazing when you think about how he relates to us as his creation. Look at what Revelation 22 says, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It goes on to say, Through the middle of the street of the city, somebody shout amen. That road's not going to look like any road in Jackson. Okay? Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3 says, No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Our God is a restorer. His original plan is still being worked on and it is going to come to fruition. So it's really important that we see, this is amazing, that John, this is his last vision that he sees in the book of Revelation and it has to do with the heavenly Eden where we'll be for eternity. So go with me to John chapter 15 and we're going to read Jesus' words to his disciples He's just said uh, recently, which we preached about, that he's the resurrection and the life. He's then talked to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. He did not give an expiration date to the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is still available to us today. And then he begins a statement in John chapter 15, verse 1, and he says this, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. The other word would be gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He repeats, I am the vine. And he says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I want to go back to verse 1 and I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown to help you see the significance of what's here. Jesus is the true vine. Scripture is very clear, but that one word could be easily overread and just say Jesus is the vine. But he says he's the true vine. What does true mean in this context? It means authentic. 
It's not talking about whether God is honest or not. It's saying he is the legitimate, authentic vine. And here we see that connectivity is key. He is the true vine and his father, our father, is the gardener taking care of not only the vine, but the branches as well. This is something that would have flown in the face, this simple statement to the people who were hearing it. Because he is saying, it's not about whether you're biologically born a Jew. It's about whether or not you belong to me. I am the true vine. In Romans chapter 11, Paul uses the same picture. And he talks about the Gentiles. And he says that we've been grafted in to the vine or to the tree. And so we understand now, looking back, that Jesus is the vine and that any who come to him can call him Lord and be saved. Verse 2 talks about fruitless branches. I encourage you to reread this slowly, intentionally this week. It says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So fruitless branches get taken away. Later, Jesus will say they get gathered together after they've fallen or been cut off, whatever the scenario is, and they're taken and put into a fire. My uncles are farmers down in southwest Florida, in Naples, Fort Myers area. There's a whole lot of land out there to grow watermelons and tomatoes and things like that. When I was a kid, I remember going out to the farm with all the cousins on a night that was cool with the threat of frost. And I remember them setting debris aflame at the corners of the field to keep their crops from freezing and from frosting over. And I didn't think about it until this week that it's those branches that were fruitless or in the way that those are the ones that are burned They do have some production or some good benefit to the overall picture, but they are taken away. There's a warning for us to receive in this. Next, he really breaks it down and he says something that if we skipped over it too quickly, we wouldn't really get it. It says, and every branch that does bear fruit gets pruned. Wait a second. Pruning doesn't sound good. Pruning sounds like it hurts. But the fruitful branches are the ones that get pruned. They get cut back. In so doing, more fruit comes. So maybe we've been thinking about it all wrong. Maybe we've been in the middle of a storm or a situation and we've said, God, why is this happening to me? God, why have these people betrayed me? Why have they left me? Why am I having this financial difficulty? Why am I in the middle of this relational problem or this career problem? Maybe, just maybe, God has a plan. I say that with some sarcasm. Obviously, God has a plan. Amen? And sometimes when he prunes us, we really feel its full effect. But pruning in the end produces more fruit. The next verse, verse 3, talks about abiding. Well, verse 4, sorry. Talks about abiding in him. And I thought through what Jesus says here. Essentially, he's saying this, that abiding is a choice that you make. Can I get an amen? 
You were created by God with a free will. We have children in the room today because today's family Sunday. So I'm just going to use this word, substance. There have been many people who have said that substance has to do with addiction and something that's a disease and can't be controlled. But God created all of us with a free will, a will to choose. Sometimes that will gets broken. Sometimes that will is full of disease. But we need God's help in the midst of the choices that we make, especially to abide in Him. Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? So we have a free will. We choose what we choose. And I think sometimes we're all guilty of not choosing to abide. Sometimes it might be inconvenient to abide. Sometimes it might not be fun to abide. Sometimes it might be more work than we think it's worth to abide in Him. But the Bible says, and Jesus' own words say to us, Abide in me and I abide in you. So here's the deal. You really can't produce any fruit if you're not connected to the vine or to the bush or to the tree or to the plant. A branch that's cut off or a branch that fell off due to disease may have some fruit on it, but that fruit is not good. It's not worth anything at this point. It has no more life flowing into it. Fruitless branches are gathered and thrown in the fire, Jesus says. And then he goes on to tell us that abiding in him comes with benefits. Go to verse 7. It says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You say, was Jesus just speaking in hyperbole? Was he just kind of making that up as he went along? No, I truly believe that Jesus is not a liar and that he really meant what he said when he said, whatever you ask, when you are abiding in me, it will be done for you because you're connected to the vine. The father, he allows these answers to prayer to come because we are connected to the vine. In verse 8, it says that the Father is pleased, the gardener is pleased and glorified when we don't just bear fruit, but that we bear much fruit. And then we prove that we are His disciples. Who do we have to prove that to? Do I have to prove it to my friend David? Do I have to prove it to my friend Christine? No, it's so that God sees the work is authentic inside of me because I'm bearing much fruit for his kingdom. So I want to give you a couple takeaways and applications from this message. But before I do that, I want to talk about fruit for just another minute and tell you really what we're getting at. Because Jesus He talks about fruit in this agricultural context of his ministry on the earth. And we understand that that was a big deal back then. They all knew how it grew and how much water it needed and how much sunlight and all those things. But what is the fruit that God really wants from you and from I? In the Bible, the word fruit is often used to describe a person's outward actions that resulted from the condition of their heart. That's the fruit that he's talking about. I've been talking with our teenagers on Wednesday nights about the fruit of the Spirit. 
We've been working through the fruit of the Spirit one by one and talking through how do we help ourselves and how do we allow God help us to bear that fruit. Fruit of the Spirit comes from God above and He's the one who wants to help us. How many of you have ever been disappointed in your own outward actions? It's 100% of us. If we're to understand Scripture clearly... God's word through and through says that those outward actions have come as a result of the condition of our heart. And I think that that stings a little bit worse. Not just that we got angry or that we got bitter or that we said something we shouldn't have or whatever the case may be. It's that there's actually something deeper inside of us that caused that outward action. So what does that tell you and I? It tells me that the fruit that I bear is in direct relationship to what I'm connected to. If you plant watermelon seeds, you get watermelon plants. It's pretty simple. If you plant a strawberry seed, you're not going to get a watermelon. You're going to get a strawberry, right? So we've heard this said before, and in fact, it's scriptural, that you reap what you sow. If you sow anger, you'll reap anger. If you sow bitterness, you'll reap bitterness. I work a second job. Most of you know that. Uh, We have a customer who comes in regularly. um, And I, I don't know what else to do besides pray for her. She seems like the whole world is on her shoulders and that she's burdened by a lot of things. Her outward actions tend towards things like rudeness and meanness and things like that. And I think, man, what a... What a bad and a sad sort of existence to not have the joy of the Lord as her strength, to not have these things that could help her in this life. And you can see it. That's the point what I'm making today. People can see if you've sown bitterness or anger. But on the flip side, if you sow love, you get love in return. Hello? If you sow grace or plant grace, you get grace in return. If you sow kindness, you get kindness shown to you. Amen? If you do these things. So you harvest what you plant. I guess the question really is, what are you planting? I know I'm taking the analogy a little off course because Jesus is the vine and we, if we're attached to him, he's doing work inside of us. But really, the question is, what, are, what am I investing myself in? The fruit of our lives that Jesus is referring to is the result of our connection with him. So let me give you these three points today of application. The first one is this, that I understand from this passage, and I've already given you a little snapshot of it. Abiding is a choice. We were created in the image of God. Adam chose something. Eve chose something. You and I still today choose things. But the great news is this. Jesus Christ chose something as well. And you know what he chose? He chose death on a cross and resurrection in order to provide us with new life. So he made a choice as well. And he says, abide in him and he abide in us. Jesus is still making that choice. We have a choice to accept him and we have a choice to let him remain in the place of being our Lord and our master Abiding in him is definitely a choice. I had this question that I was asking myself this week. 
Am I abiding in him or am I striving against him? It seems like life would be a little bit easier if I was just abiding in him. If I was just trusting him with everything, it would be a whole lot easier, I think, on me. So are you choosing daily to stay connected to him? Daily? Because you need him daily? Are you choosing daily to not strive against him but, or to neglect your spiritual life? but to actually choose him. I chose him 20 years ago, pastor, and I give to this church and I, I serve and I, I help. And I, are you choosing today to abide in his grace and to learn to lean on him and trust him? Our life is filled with choices. And we, we need to choose daily to abide in him. There are lots of things in this world that cause us to get our focus off of him. There are things that we can't help or can't control, things like coronavirus or even another presidential election that's coming up on Tuesday, you should go vote. There are things that we make choices about, our career path, our marriage, our family issue, whatever it may be, in the midst of all of that stuff, we make choices and the biggest most primary choice would be this, to abide in him. Point number two that I see is, ugh, this is not good. <laughs> Expect to be pruned. I, they didn't teach me this in Bible college. I wish they had. I really wish there was a class about this. They talked about a lot of stuff that I've had to learn the hard way, and then they didn't talk about a lot of stuff that came kind of easy. It was just kind of flip-flopped. But they never told me about this, that I should expect to be pruned. And this might be the most enlightening point in the three that I have today. Scripture declares literally from the beginning all the way until we're with God that there will be struggles and trials and tribulations and I think a popular belief has taken root in the church and that lie, it's a belief, it's a lie that when you come to faith and when you come to Christ, everything goes rosy, beautiful, peachy, and everything's wonderful. But that's actually the opposite of what God's word tells us on literally every page. But we do have hope because we know that there will be a day that comes where there will be no more heartache, no more pain, no more tears, no more striving, no more struggle. The Bible makes that very clear that we live with a hope in our heart, knowing that we're headed to a destination to be with him forever. That there won't be untimely death. There won't be the betrayal of friends. There won't be the insurmountable issues of finances. There won't be any of those things anymore. We'll be living with him forever. But for now, we need to expect to be pruned in this life. Jesus told his disciples that as they abide in him and bear fruit, that they would be pruned. I think maybe if you took just a moment today to think back on your life, since you've known God and come to faith in him, that there have been some moments of pruning and that it hurt. But I, I thought about the, this week that pruning, the pruning of the Lord should not be despised. 
and I've despised it a time or two in my life. I've been angry and mad when I've been pruned. It's easier said than done. If you're bearing fruit, you will be pruned. But in those moments of pruning, we have got to remind ourselves that we are the branches and God himself is the gardener. You need to let that sink into your your mind, into your spirit today. We need to remind ourselves that we are just branches in the vineyard of the Lord. In fact, if you want to look this up later, you can. Isaiah chapter 5 they, the word of God comes through Isaiah and he pens it and says that the people of Israel are the vineyard of the Lord. And so we understand that to apply to us as well these days, that we're part and parcel of what God is doing on the earth. And I'm so glad because I'm not Jewish, but God still loves me. I mean, that's simple, but it's, it's good to know. And number three is this, stay connected to him. You say, Pastor, you sound like a broken record. You say this every week, it seems like. Talk about reading my Bible. Talk about praying. You know why I say it every week? Because you struggle with it every week. Because I struggle with it every week. Because we need the reminder. That's why. But daily time with him in prayer and reading and studying his word, serving in the church, these are all ways that we stay connected to him. Don't forget... The branches, if you look up a picture of a vineyard, they don't just grow solo all by themselves off of the vine. They are intertwined and working with each other. They're supporting. Man, this is good. They're supporting the other weaker branches so they can bear fruit too because they're working together. So you've got to stay connected to him. You know, I can worship the Lord in my car and I often do, but there's a different dynamic when I'm together with you and we're worshiping God. Amen? I can pray by myself and I should, you should too. But when I walked in this morning and there were 10 or 12 people back here in a circle and they were praying for the service, there was a special feeling in that moment. Your faith can be built up by being connected to others. That's why I totally disagree with the people who are like, and this does not apply to coronavirus necessarily, but to the old timey story that I've heard of, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I just stay at home and just don't go to church that much. No, be part of the family. Amen? It doesn't apply today. I understand there's fears and frets and worries. And stay home and keep watching Facebook. We can't wait to see you. That's great and fine and dandy. But outside of a pandemic, you ought to get to church. Here's what we need. Uh, You didn't come to hear this part. But you need to take this part home with you. What you are missing in your life is self-discipline. When you struggle to read the word or to stay connected to him, it's, a ma- it's not a matter of whether or not God is pushing life-giving juice through that vine. That is a non-stop, unstoppable flow that is always going. It's not that he has removed himself. It's that we have chosen to not stay connected. It's not his fault. It's, it's ours. And that's the hard truth. And I thought about this. In today's world, everybody has a busy life, even unemployed people. So stop using that as an excuse. <laughs> right? 
I mean, I've talked to retired folks and people who are unemployed, and they're busier than I am with two jobs. I get it. We're all busy, but you can't keep using that excuse because you don't want to become the branch that gets taken and gathered with the other branches that are fruitless. So we've got to make that choice. So I encourage you today, make that choice. Make a choice today that you'll spend the next seven days connected to him. And then when you get to that finish line, wow, I did it. This is awesome. Or, hey, I made six out of seven. This is great. Or, Lord, help me. I only got three out of seven. But, God, I'm making the decision today. I'm going for another seven more. And then keep going. It's not just psychology. It is baby steps. Like, we really do need to make one step at a time and say, God, I need you. And here's the thing. You don't have to wait to January to make that resolution. The results are devastating if we disconnect ourselves from him. Worship team, would you come? We close our service every week with an encore, a worship song for us to just connect to the Lord. To think clearly about the message. And to make a commitment to him. We say this prayer and I encourage you to say it even out loud. Don't be scared. You're in church. It's a good place to pray. And to say out loud, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? But I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will be entering into the kingdom of God. There's a conversation that happens in Matthew chapter 7 and they say this, but you don't, but, but Jesus, but hear me out just for a second. We did all these things in your name. We served in the church or we did this or we put money in the offering or we did this and we did that. Some of it is really super spiritual stuff. We cast out demons in your name. And he says in Matthew chapter 7 that not everyone who calls him Lord, Lord will enter. He says to some, he will usher, he will utter these words, I never knew you. You say, well, how's that possible? It's possible when you play the charade or the act and you're not truly connected to the actual vine that gives life. Would you stand with me today? I got a special word I want to give to you right now before we pray and before we worship. Because I've talked about the the vine and the branches and how we as branches are interconnected, interwoven. We support one another and help one another. I believe that we need a word today on unity. That unity is what God's kingdom is all about. In the body of Christ, if we stay connected to him, guess what? We're going to be connected to some people that may not be our favorite. They may not raise their family the way that we choose to raise our family. They may read the same Bible and get a different belief out of the same passage. But if they truly believe and if they are truly connected to the vine, then they're my brother and my sister. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter who they vote for on Tuesday. I can still be friends. Because we're in the kingdom together. And there's something much bigger than just the two of us or three or five or 40. God wants to do something great on this earth 
through the vineyard that he's planted, which is you and I, and we need to be unified. This world needs to see that the church stands in unity together. Lord, my prayer that I pray over us today is that you would speak. I know you've spoken through your word to us. Lord, I I know that there have been some challenges in this message, but Holy Spirit, right now, I pray you would speak to every person who has heard this message. And Lord, that you would help us, help us to stay connected to you. Help us to brush off the connection. Help us to get back in the place we used to be. Lord, help us today to be truly connected to the authentic vine. We are the branches and we want to bear much fruit for you, for your pleasure, but also for the growth of your kingdom. So help us, Jesus.